Thursday, June the 3rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, an Israeli coalition deal and a Russian extremism bill. First, the world in brief. Opposition parties in Israel struck a deal to form a new coalition government. If it wins a confidence vote in the Knesset, it would mean the ousting of Benjamin Netanyahu, the country's longest-serving prime minister. Yair Lapid, leader of the centrist Yesh Atid party, and Naftali Bennett of the nationalist Yamina party made the agreement with six other parties, including Ra'am, which would become the first Arab party to join a government since Israel's founding in 1948. Under the deal, Mr Bennett would be prime minister for the first two years, when Mr Lapid would replace him. Russia's upper house passed a bill temporarily disqualifying members of, quote, extremist groups from standing in elections. A court in Moscow will soon consider applying the designation to Alexei Navalny's anti-corruption foundation ahead of parliamentary elections in September. Russia's most prominent opposition figure has been in prison since January. Dmitry Gudkov and Andrei Pivovarov, two more activists, were also detained this week. The FBI fingered R-Evil, a Russian group, as the perpetrators of a ransomware attack on the world's largest meat processing firm. JBS has now resumed operations, but not made public whether it paid up for the return of stolen data. Joe Biden will raise cybercrime with Vladimir Putin when the two leaders meet later this month. NASA announced two new missions to study Venus, Earth's closest planetary neighbor. America's space agency said it was awarding around $1 billion to develop the launches which would take place between 2028 and 2030. One will measure the composition of the Venusian atmosphere, the other would map the planet's surface, which is hot enough to melt lead, to establish why it developed so differently from Earth's. America responded to the imposition of digital service taxes on its tech firms by levying tariffs on Austria, Britain, India, Italy, Spain and Turkey. That may have been more of a negotiating tactic than a genuine threat. Catherine Tai, America's trade representative, said the tariffs would be suspended for six months to allow for multilateral discussions of tax arrangements. The African Union suspended Mali's membership and threatened sanctions if a civilian-led government is not restored in the coup-prone country. Last August, its armed forces ousted the elected president and appointed interim civilian leaders following international pressure. But soldiers removed the transitional president and prime minister on May 28th. ECOWAS, a West African bloc, suspended Mali earlier this week. Amazon backed a federal bill to legalize cannabis throughout America. The e-commerce giant said it hopes that other companies will also support the legislation. The company also said it will drop a requirement that its workers take a test for the drug. So far, 17 states have legalized the drug for recreational use. And fact of the day. An estimated 75% of urban children in China go to university, compared with 15% of rural ones. And now, here's today's agenda. Quick March, America's exit from Afghanistan. A month after America's pullout from Afghanistan entered its endgame, the pace is blistering. President Joe Biden had said troops would leave by September, 
but a departure as early as July seems likely. Generals reckon the process is nearly half complete. Mr Biden is in no mood to hang around. The sooner troops are out, the less chance of American casualties during the withdrawal. Kandahar Air Base has been handed over to the Afghan government, and Bagram Air Base near Kabul is next. Other NATO countries are racing the Americans to the door. The withdrawal has disrupted peace talks between the Afghan government and the Taliban. The militant group has been besieging and capturing rural outposts. Government troops attempt to take them back. All eyes are on how the Afghan forces will stand up on their own. With the Taliban as strong as it has been since 2001, the country may well fall even more deeply into chaos. A $2.4 billion shot in the arm, financing COVAX. A fundraising summit yesterday got rich countries to pledge $2.4 billion for COVAX, a partnership that buys COVID-19 vaccines for poor countries. If they fulfill those promises, that will help COVAX meet its target of distributing 1.8 billion jabs this year. It would also ensure a more even global distribution of vaccines. COVAX has so far shipped 77 million doses to 127 countries. America alone has put nearly four times as many jabs in arms. With the new money, COVAX estimates that it could reach up to 30% of people in the poor countries it supplies by early 2022. Because those doses aren't ready yet, it would be more helpful in the short term if rich countries donated existing vaccines. Though not all have yet arrived, they have ordered enough to inoculate their populations several times over. Some 54 million doses were pledged at the summit, bringing total promised donations to more than 132 million jabs. It's a step in the right direction, but given millions of COVID-19 deaths around the world, a tragically small one. Inauspicious Beginnings – Iran's Election Campaign season for Iran's presidential elections is normally a rambunctious time. Candidates fling mud and fight over ideology. Not this one. The Guardian Council, which vets candidates on behalf of the Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, the supreme leader, has eliminated all but one of the main contenders, Ebrahim Raisi. Mr. Raisi is the country's chief justice and the son-in-law of Ahmad Alamol Hoda, a vitriolic cleric. To get out the vote on June 18th, Mr. Alamol Hoda has called abstainers infidels. But most voters have lost faith in the system, and for good reason. Even those at its heart know it is spent and corrupt. The campaign has had a lacklustre start. Turnout is expected to be the lowest in the Islamic Republic's 42 years. That seems not to faze Mr Khamenei. He is grooming Mr Raisi as his successor and seems not to care about the size of his mandate. For decades, Iran claimed to be the Middle East's second democracy. No longer. Erdoganomics Returns – Turkish Interest Rates Data released by Turkey's statistics agency today will probably show that the country's inflation rate rose for the eighth consecutive month. In April it hit 17.1%, its highest level in almost two years. Now does not seem the time for a rate cut, but Sahap Kavgiolu, Turkey's fourth central bank governor in under two years, may be forced to do just that. 
On Tuesday, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's imperious but economically deluded president, said that it was, quote, imperative for the bank to slash rates and that he had told Mr. Kavgiolu as much. The lira responded by dipping to a new low against the dollar. Ali Babajan, a former economy minister who heads a small opposition party, joked that after sacking so many central bank governors, Mr. Erdogan might as well take the job himself. At least then the role might have a permanent occupant. Political Theatre, Oslo On September 13, 1993, Yitzhak Rabin, then Israel's Prime Minister, shook hands with Yasser Arafat, the chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization. The handshake, their first in public, marked the signing of the Oslo Accords. The PLO recognized Israel and pledged its commitment to peace. In return, it received autonomy in parts of the West Bank and Gaza for five years. But they did not reach that stage on their own. Both sides solicited help from Mona Yule and Terrier Rod Larsen. The pair of married Norwegian diplomats set up clandestine talks in a stately home outside of Oslo. In 2012, J.T. Rogers, an American dramatist, met the couple and turned the tale of those secret back channels into a Tony Award-winning play. HBO adapted the play into a film released last Saturday, starring Ruth Wilson and Andrew Scott. The real-life saga shows, quote, It is possible to bring people together, Ms. Yule has said. Given recent events, many will doubt that is still true. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Muhammad Ali, who died on this day in 2016. The man who views the world at 50, the same as he did at 20, has wasted 30 years of his life. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. 